You're listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Luke chapter number two. In this passage of scripture holds a special place in my heart. As I remember growing up, I remember sitting around the fireplace on Christmas Eve. And every single Christmas Eve, we would start the fire, whether or not it was a spare the air day or not. We would light that fire. And we would put it in the fireplace and get the logs going. And we'd eat our Christmas cookies. And our family every year uh, holds a Christmas cookie gathering and a party that we have together. And we literally, uh, like, uh, what do you call it, icing on it? Uh, you cover the cookies with icing, whatever that's called. You cover them. We have thousands upon thousands of cookies that we do every single year. And we never eat them all. They always go bad. We try to freeze them. It doesn't matter. We don't eat them. But on Christmas Eve, we eat those Christmas cookies around the fireplace. We drink our hot chocolate. And for many, many years, we read Luke chapter number 2. And we'd sit around that, and that was our family tradition. And that is what we look forward to. And obviously, like every good Christian family on Christmas Eve, we'd open one present, okay? Just wanted to make that clear, make that well known, that that is what the Bible teaches, that one present on Christmas Eve is the way that it's supposed to be. But I cherish this passage of Scripture, Luke chapter number 2, very much, my own heart. And I encourage you that if it's not part of your family tradition, I encourage you to make it part of your tradition. To read from the scripture the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll look in Luke chapter number 2, and I hope that the Bible study will be a help to us as we just appreciate Christmas a little bit more, and also God's providence. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 2, in verse number 1, we'll only read to verse number 7. But the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days... That there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. The immaculate conception and virgin birth of our Lord is not merely some doctrinal tenet which pawn theologians disagree. It is not a mythical story at which a sect of people hope to be true. But the glorious reality is that our Savior was born of a virgin, came and lived a sinless and perfect life, died upon the cross vicariously so that we might have the eternal hope and eternal home and our destination in heaven forever. This is a foundation. It is one of the foundation stones of our Christian faith. Galatians 4 says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. This miraculous birth is a companion truth to His required sacrifice on the cross. Someone who denies the virgin birth will most obviously and almost always deny His death. But it's important for us, and we cannot stress too greatly to the world, the importance and historical fact 
that Jesus was born of a virgin mother and that the child that was born in Luke chapter number 2 was the son that was given from Isaiah chapter number 9. To deny the virgin birth is to reject the truth of the gospel, apart from which there is no hope for this lost world. The evidence of the Messiah of the Old Testament is the manual of the New Testament is proved by the agreement in Scripture. He is the seed of a woman, born of a virgin, of the family of Shem, of the Hebrew race, and of the seed of Abraham, of the line of Isaac, of the lineage of Jacob and Isaac, and of the tribe of Judah, of the house of David, born in Bethlehem. At the birth of Jesus, death was no longer a devourer, but a deliverer. The Old Testament was full of unattainable precepts, unfulfilled promises, and unexplainable procedures. The seeming deficiencies of the Old Testament can only be resolved in the person, Jesus Christ. Christ was the answer to an incomplete scripture. However, he was not the kind of Messiah that they expected. They wanted a militant Messiah, but he was a meek Messiah. Historically speaking, and I love to talk about Jesus historically when I talk to people, they say, what is even, even disregarding the religious aspect of Christ? Historically, how important was Jesus Christ to our world? Well, he was important enough that the entire calendar is based upon his birth. If you look at it, his entire life was based, and the entire calendar that we have was based upon the arrival of the Son of God. And even you have before Christ, B.C., and A.D., Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord, it surrounds itself with Christ. But for reasons of religious neutrality, they tried to wipe it away. They tried to dilute Christ. They tried to dethrone Christ. They tried to delegitimize Christ. And they say now it's B.C.E., before Common Era, and C.E., Common Era. I say Common Error. That is not the way that it's supposed to be. I say that we should base our life upon Jesus Christ. And for centuries upon centuries, Jesus Christ was the ultimate historical and religious figure. Even in our own season of Christmas, it is okay to say Merry Christmas. You shouldn't try to dilute Christ and say Happy Holidays. It's not just another holiday. This is the arrival of the Savior of the world. The birth of Jesus Christ. And it's okay to keep Christ in Christmas. Don't try to take it out this Christmas season. And so we have here the historical aspect of Jesus' birth. And historically speaking, at this time, the nation of Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire. Its mass reaches and its territory reaches the entire known world. Jesus was born amid a world movement where one word from a pagan emperor in Rome made people throughout his vast domains move. The regions of the Jewish population had to comply with the rulers. Look in verse number one, the Bible says, and it came to pass in those days, in those days talking about Luke chapter number one, where the angel Gabriel comes and visits Mary and tells her of God's divine plan. But it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Caesar Augustus was the first true emperor of Rome. He was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar. He took the name Caesar to honor his uncle and was given the name Augustus by the Roman Senate because it had a spiritual uh, connotation and a spiritual emphasis that he was trying to deify himself, that he was trying to exalt himself. He was trying to get people to worship him. And so he chose the name Caesar Augustus and he seized the power of the Roman Empire after the murder of his uncle. 
But this, a, a, a decree from Caesar Augustus, and although over 2,500 miles away in a Roman palace, the emperor Caesar Augustus would play a vital role in the miraculous birth of our Savior. Caesar Augustus had called for the collection of a new tax. The preparation of this new tax required a census which imposed every person to go to the city of their ancestry in order to be registered. Joseph and Mary came out of Nazareth and Galilee and traveled the 80 miles south from the northern part of Israel down to Bethlehem. They most likely would have traveled through Jerusalem and to, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem is about another five or six miles. But the 80-mile journey from Nazareth would have taken about three days. Now, you can do it in about three hours by car now. But back in the time of Jesus' birth, it would have taken three days. Three tiring, gruesome, very, very hard days. The Bible says that Mary was great with child. She was nearly expecting. Now, I have never been great with child. And by the way, no man can ever be great with child. We just throw that in there. It's not even in my notes. But hey, that's good stuff right there. But I can only imagine how hard this would have been for Mary. The reason for them to make this now, if you take, if you have a very, very uh, pregnant wife, and you say to her, we have to travel three days on the back of a camel. I don't think that's going to go over very well. The reason that they had to go to Bethlehem would have been very compelling. It would have been absolutely necessary for them to comply. It would have been extremely important for them to have a good reason to make this journey. And you have here that the decree from Caesar Augustus, this historically accurate passage, gets me very excited because of the tremendous spiritual truth. Caesar Augustus had attempted to make himself a god. He wanted to be worshipped as an emperor of the most powerful empire in the known world. But Caesar Augustus was merely a tool in God's hand to bring about to pass the prophecy given 700 years prior in Micah. Micah 5.2 says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. Everything that happened was arranged by God. And the hand of God was upon the entire circumstance. You see, it was necessary that the birth of the Messiah, beyond all dispute and doubt, that Jesus Christ should be born in Bethlehem, according to prophecy. It was also necessary to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus needed to be of the lineage and house of David. But how could this public recognition of two peasants, Mary and Joseph, how could a public recognition of their lineage be obtained? Unless by the decree of Caesar Augustus. They traveled to Bethlehem, they were living in Nazareth, and it seemed very probable that the birth of Jesus would take place in Nazareth. It seemed very likely that the birth would take place in their home residence up by the Sea of Galilee. But because of this decree, because of a Roman emperor 2,500 miles away, God's prophecy was fulfilled. God was in control of the entire circumstance. It would have something to be, so the official stamp of the Roman Empire shall forever be associated with the coming of the Son of God. Here we see the providence and wisdom of God and believe that all things are ordained and ordered well. God's divine hand, the emperor of a wicked nation, fulfilled the necessary prophecy for the coming of the Son of Man. 
the rulers of this world think that they know how to govern and reign. But the ruler of the tempest knows how to move the heart of the king. But the Bible says in Proverbs 21, 1, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. And so before we go into the next political protest, and we, before we go into the next political rally, can I encourage us and remind ourselves that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Before we use our feet to go march in a protest, have we used our knees to go before God's throne? Before we use our voice to go announce the next sin of sinners, before they go commit whatever sin they're going to commit, have we asked and begged for God's mercy upon our nation? I'm not saying that we should embrace sin. I'm not saying that we should embrace wickedness. I'm just saying that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. I'm not saying that there's nothing we should do. I'm not saying that there's nothing we could do. I'm not saying that we should just lie down and we should just accept the state of our decrepit nation. What I am saying is that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. God's hand is in full control. The next time you look at a headline, the next time you look at the news, can I tell you this? There is no breaking news with God. God is not shocked. God is not caught off guard. God is not surprised by the situation. And the next time we think that it's out of control, let me remind you of whose hand it is in control. And God is in full control of the situation. It should bring us great peace and it should bring us great comfort to know that God is still in control. Even in our own crooked and political climate, even with the wickedness and the perversion of the truth and the lies, God's position and God's ability is still true. Millions were ordered to follow the decree by Caesar Augustus, all so that the prophecy of God might be fulfilled and accomplished. Today in our society, we may not understand, we may not grasp, we definitely don't agree with all the decrees of our political leaders. But either way, God is still on his throne. And either way, God is still in control. And he may just be turning the king's heart whithersoever he will to fulfill his wonderful plan. Yes, we should stand for righteousness. Yes, we should stand for holiness. Yes, we should stand for morality. But before we force a change in our society, let us remember that God is the ruler of all. And he is the king of all kings. And he is the Lord of all lords. And he is in control of all the princes and leaders. He controls the wind and the weather. He controls all that is. And Christians should be in the prayer closet more than the political rally. Christians should be in the church more than in political campaigns. Christians should be doing missions work more than in the marches. Christians should be soul winning more than in civil demonstrations. Christians should be tithing more than touting personal opinion. Christians should be sharing the gospel more than shouting at their TV. Let me tell you who's in control. God is in control. And if we really want to make a difference, and if we really want to make a change, let me remind you of 2 Chronicles, that if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. As a study, you don't find Mary and Joseph disobeying the decree of Caesar Augustus. You find them submitting themselves to authority. Biblically, unless the laws of the land go against the laws of God, we are to obey. God had used this wicked emperor in the Roman Empire to bring about the most magnificent miracle in the fulfillment of prophecy, the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In our text in Luke chapter number 2, then you see in verse number 4 and 5, you have Joseph and Mary following the commands of the Roman Empire, traveling from Nazareth near the Sea of Galilee to Bethlehem. 
Joseph, by trade, was a carpenter. And although not the paternal father of Jesus, he was necessary for the care of Jesus as a baby and the fulfillment that Jesus be born in Bethlehem. Joseph's mere presence at Christ's birth proves and bears witness to a severe test from which he had uh, uh, emerged triumphant. Yet the child that, he was about, that she was about to bear would not be his. Seeing her great with child, without fanfare, Joseph was minded to put her away. He never acted rashly without his, with his espouse, although he was baffled by her condition. This serves for all time as an example of wisdom and patience for God's plan. Bitterly disappointed that Mary had apparently betrayed him, he believed, but he did not make any harsh or rash decisions. Joseph waited upon God, and his love for and patience with Mary were rewarded. God understood his mental difficulties and rewarded Joseph's conscientious attitude towards Mary by revealing his redemptive plan. God never fails those who take their anxieties to him. Through patience and waiting, God made known his orchestrated movements. Unfortunately, just because we wait on God, he may not immediately make known to us his supreme master plan. But no matter the circumstance, can I remind us again that he has never lost control. We should not make harsh or rash decisions when it doesn't go according to our will, when it doesn't go according to our way. If you're like me, I personally like to be in control. It is in my nature to be in control of the situation. I enjoy being able to control whatever it is that I'm doing, which is one of the reasons probably I would imagine why I would never go skydiving. Because the only thing I have control over is if I can pull that cord or not. And then after that, it's out of my hands then. There is nothing I can do. I am out of, con I am out of control. There is nothing I can do. I hate being, if you've ever traveled, on the back of a jet ski on a lake or a whatever body of water. The back is it's the worst. You have zero control. And then all of a sudden, the person driving it starts to steer, and you go shooting out 20 feet this way at like 60 miles an hour. That is not my idea of fun. That is not what I like to do on my spare time. I hate not being in control. I will never even ride in the passenger seat. I hate being in the passenger seat. That's why I have my CDL, so I can drive anywhere and anything. I want to be in control. I will not even ride in the passenger seat if my wife's driving, okay? Mostly because I'm a man, but also because I love being in control. I love it. Now, my wife is a tremendous driver. Babe, you're fantastic. You're a great driver. I trust you so much. I trust you with our three kids in the car. I just don't trust you with me in the car. No, my wife is amazing. My wife is a great driver. But I love to be in control. And you know, it's hard for me when I do not have control of the situation. And I have no control over the economy. I have no control over the housing market. I have no control over the political landscape. I have no control over celebrities or society. I have no control over some of the situations that occur to me in life. But I do have control of where I will put my faith and my trust. And I choose to put it in Jesus Christ and in God. When we don't understand, can I encourage us to wait on God, to be patient with Him, to have faith in Him? He doesn't always work, and most often he does not work according to our time schedule and our calendar. But he will always come through right on time. Verse number 5 brings us to Mary. To be taxed with Mary, the Bible says, his espoused wife, being great with child. We won't turn there for the sake of time, but the lowly and unassuming manner 
in which the Savior of the world was announced in chapter number 1 of Luke by the angel Gabriel. He comes to Mary and he, and he says to her these amazing phrases. He, he gives her so much praise. And it marks how humble she was that God would choose her. He says to her that uh, she had been highly favored. He also says that the Lord was with her. He also says that blessed are thou among women. And the woman Mary, who was honored to be our Lord's mother, was evidently in a humble position in life. Both in her station and dwelling place, there was an utter absence of anything that we or the world would call greatness. And although in a low earthly state, she had obtained an esteemed divine favor. This clearly indicated that the Savior of the world would be the Savior of all because he was born of such a low and humble heritage. Regarding Mary herself, it is a well-known fact that the Catholic Church pays honor to the Virgin Mary, which is comparable to the respect paid to her son, Jesus Christ. The Catholic Church has formally declared her to have been conceived without sin. She is held up to millions across the world as an object of worship. She is prayed to as a mediator between God and man. No less powerful than Christ himself. For all these, let me tell you this, for all of these claims, there is not the slightest warrant of proof ever found in divine scripture that would indicate any of these claims to be true. The Virgin Mary could only be made pure by the belief and faith in her son's vicarious death. Regarding the claim that she was conceived without sin, the Bible says in Romans 5.12, I love using the Bible when I talk to people. It's amazing. The Bible says in Romans 5, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all, for that all have sinned. To claim that she had been born without sin would place her in a position equal with Christ himself. The Catholic Church teaches also that she was a perpetual virgin. Also that she was bodily ascended into heaven. This is in the Catholic doctrine. All of this is utter foolishness and complete heresy. There is nothing found through the pages of divinely inspired scripture that would indicate that Mary was sinless, nor that she was bodily ascended into heaven. And regarding the Mary prayers that are chanted and recited by millions upon millions around the world, they believe that she acts as an intermediary between man and God. The Bible expressly and specifically refutes this. In, 2 Timothy, in 1 Timothy 2, 5, the Bible says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. How hard is that to understand? Seems pretty easy and simple to me. But while we say all these things about Mary, I can tell you that no woman was ever as favored in the eyes of God as Mary was. It is evident that one woman out of all of the countless of millions of the human race could be the means by which God would be manifest in the flesh. And Mary had the mighty privilege of being that one. Verse number 6, we'll look back at our text, verse number 6 and 7. The Bible says, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her son, her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. No room was the innkeeper's cry. No room. We are completely full. I wonder if that innkeeper ever found that the guest he had turned away 
was the savior of the world. There was no trumpets blaring to welcome them. There was no crowd in the streets to welcome Joseph and Mary as they came into Bethlehem. There was nothing that you could have said, this is the arrival of someone great. I suppose thousands of people from around the nation were coming to Bethlehem and were traveling in the midst of all the different cities because of the tax. But because there was no room in a rough, cold cattle shed to an ancient, adjacent to an ancient inn, the Son of God entered into human life. Oxen must have shook their shaggy heads. The camels looked about with disdain. The floor was unspeakably foul. The bats flew in and out of this manger and the stable. No hot water, horrible sanitation, and no midwife available. The awesome child was still born at last. Even with no room in the regular lodging, God had made provision. There was a place. A place not amongst royalty or nobility, not amongst the notable or the wealthy, but a place of humble surroundings. And even today, there is not often room made for Christ in the palaces. There is not often room made for Christ in the parliaments. There is no room for Christ in the marketplace. And there is no room for Christ in the halls of education and philosophy. Even at the birth of Jesus Christ, there was no room for him with the religious crowd. And can I encourage us to always leave room for Christ? We all have things that take up our time. We all have things that consume our, our efforts and our abilities. But no goal, no earthly ambition, no uh, uh, even the greatest hobby. Not, let it not be said of us that there is no more room for Christ. If you say to yourself, of course, of course there's room for Christ. How much time did you give him this week? How much time did we give Christ in our life this week? As opposed to all of the other things that are pulling for our time and grabbing for our time and the things that try to consume us and the things that try to pull us in, whether it be work or whether it be our efforts or whether it be our hobbies or our ambitions, let us always leave room for Christ. Let him have first in our life. Three times in this chapter we're reminded of the manger. Verse number 7, 12, and 16. Christ Jesus, the King of Kings, was born of a virgin and laid in a manger. Here is royalty in a stable. Isaiah 9, 6 gives us a glowing picture of the promised one who was born of such a lowly place. The Bible says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Surely the great birth of this little one in a stable and manger is the world's true greatest wonder. No one else has ever approached the level to which Jesus had reached. He is in a class all by himself. No man was ever born like Jesus was born. No man ever lived like Jesus lived. No man ever preached like Jesus preached. No man ever healed like Jesus healed. No man ever died like Jesus died. And no man, certainly no man, has ever risen from the grave like Jesus rose from the grave. I do not believe that the plan of Jesus' birth was without purpose. The Bible reveals that God does nothing foolishly. The God of heaven makes no mistakes. This scene in the stable gives encouragement to us, the lowliest and the most abased, that we can also 
come to Christ because of his humble beginnings. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. Throughout the entirety of the account of Christ's birth, you will see that God makes no mistakes. God's hand is always at work. Whether you can see the ultimate purpose or whether faith has to take you a few more steps in God's plan, our life was important enough to God that he would send his only son to die on a cross for us. Isn't our life important enough for him that he knows what's going on in it now? That he knows the situation that we're going through? That he knows the circumstance which is happening to us? Can I tell you this, that regardless of the circumstance, God is in control? And regardless of the situation, God is still in control. And regardless of the financial reversal, God is still in control. And regardless of the health diagnosis, God is still in control. Regardless of the, the failures and the, uh, the, the non-talents that you bring to the table, God is in control of everything. In this picture and in this account of Jesus' birth in Luke chapter number 2, we see that God's hand was upon it all. God did not make a mistake. He didn't say that, oh, I meant to reserve my room in the end. God did not make a mistake when it came to the birth of Jesus Christ. And can I encourage us this Christmas season that as we think of the story of Jesus, let us be reminded that God makes no mistakes, that God is in full control, that regardless of what we're going through in life, regardless of what trial or what tribulation God may be having in your life, God is still in control. Let us not put our faith in our own abilities. Let's not put our own uh, trust in our own works. Can we wait patiently for God? Can we trust that God is still in control of our life? I hope we'll remember that this Christmas. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.